Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast. Today, my guest is Genevieve Edwards, and Genevieve is an intuitive energy healer based out of Leeds, England. And today, our topic is adoption and the mother wound. Genevieve was adopted, and she talks about what that process was like for her healing that mother wound throughout the years. And she didn't really address this issue until she was in her 50s. I am an adoptive mom. We're an adoptive family. I used to work as the senior program director for an adoption agency. I've read a lot of books on this topic, and I have a lot of friends that are in the adoptive world. And so this topic was super interesting to me. This episode is definitely geared towards adoptees, adoptive families, or those if you're wanting to understand someone that's adopted that's close to you, or just kind of that mother wound. There's, it doesn't even have to be adoption. There's a lot of circumstances where this mother wound will fit in. There is a common theme with adopted kids that they don't feel worthy. They don't feel good enough. They feel like they always need to prove themselves to others. And this is something that's like a deep wound inside them that they don't understand because the adoption happened before they were even verbal. And so Genevieve and I walk through that process of what that was like for her. What are some things that we can do to lessen the burden, to heal that wound and to make ourselves more whole? I find this a really juicy episode. Genevieve was so lovely to talk to, and I really hope that you gain some value from this episode. So please take a moment to like, share, and subscribe. And I want to thank you again so much for being here today. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast, a place to explore possibility through mindfulness, movement, and self-discovery. Our intention is to deliver insight and inspiration while fostering conversations that are genuine, unfiltered, and deeply human. We hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hi, good morning, Jen. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. And it's evening with me. Isn't that amazing? I'm oh, good, that's thanks, right. That's right. Tell me, tell everybody where you are right now. Okay, I'm in Leeds in the UK, which is sort of um, middle of England on the right hand side. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on the Connected Community. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, one of the things that interests me about your story is your adoption story. And so I'm kind of going to leave it to you where you'd like to begin that story. Where do you think would be the best starting space? Sure. Okay. Um, I think the thing about my adoption, I think the story of my adoption is that I carried, I carried low self-esteem for most of my life because of being adopted. And I think my adoption had two sort of wings if you like the one wing was incredible love and support and unconditional love from my adopted family and the other wing was all the stuff that went on inside my head all my life about how I just was not good enough and the reason I wasn't good enough was because my biological mother hadn't been able hadn't wanted to keep me um, I got to a place in my life where I understood she couldn't keep me but for most of my childhood, for all of my formative years, my belief was she didn't keep me because I was the horriblest, worstest, ugliest, baddest baby in the world. And that's why she got rid of me. Yeah. I know. And I, I you know, we have an adopted little boy and I've done so much studying and research about this. And then the more people I talk to, the more adoptees I meet, just like you, 
um, and the stories that I've read, and they all have this similar theme that despite the love and attention and nurturing that the adoptive family gives, um, there is this giant like gaping hole adoption wound. Um, and that even when you have all the information logically, like, oh, you know, she was too young or she couldn't care for me, whatever those, whatever that story is that plays in your head, it seems like um, the adoptee is left with that theme of I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough, despite anything that anybody says. Um, and then you were again, another person that shared that perspective. Um, so it, it is like this deep wound. And I always think of it as when we adopt these little babies, that it's pre-verbal. There's all this stuff that's happening and there's that bond that's being broken and it's this massive hole and this gaping wound, but it, there's no words for it. The, the babies are not even verbal and they don't understand it. And so they have it inside themselves for so many years. Um, when did you first gain the awareness that you had this wound? And then from that point, when did you start to begin to work on it and how did you do that? I think in a, on a conscious level, I only really knew, all right, there were two places. One, when I was a teenager and I, I went through a stage of, 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 of almost talking to her and saying, why did you let me go? Who are you? Why didn't you keep me? Why, why did you let me go? And then um, in my 50s, in my 50s, I started working with a coach and I started working with an energetic healer. And, I, and a mentor, and I realized, in fact, that I had this enormous mother wound that I'd never addressed, I'd never acknowledged, I'd always pushed it down, um, I'd said things to myself about, I hate you, uh, speaking to my mother, I hate you, I also, of course, hated myself, um, and and just feeling very angry towards her and feeling like um, I didn't want anything to do with her. And then, but of course I did. You know, this was the, 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 this was the thing I was putting out to protect myself to because I have been so deeply rejected that I was then rejecting her. Right. Um, and I understand that now, but I didn't understand it at the time. And so my 50s, I started about 55-ish. I, um, I started working with an energy healer and a spiritual mental coach. And she was one who said to me, Jen, you've got a, you've got a mother wound that you need to address. And I was in huge denial. What rubbish? What are you talking about? I knew I was adopted from like the get go. I was always very transparent about it. Um, I used to say to people, "I'm the luckiest kid on the block because I look at look at what I got." You know, I got a mum and dad who really loved me. I mean, I went to school with kids who had abusive parents, whose parents beat them up, whose parents didn't love them. I knew I was lucky, um, and I think because of that, I had such a lot of guilt about the fact that um, I wanted to know who she was. I wanted to know why she didn't want me. I felt so guilty about the fact that I was curious about it, despite the fact that my mum and dad had given me so much love. So I always pushed it away. I never wanted to deal with it until I got to about 55 when I thought, you know, this isn't serving me. This is not working for me. Something needs to change. Yeah. And so what did what did that wound look like and how did you begin to work with it? Perhaps counterintuitively, I think the wound was for me, I always prided myself on I never cried. I was mm. wasn't a cry baby. Um I 
looked on other children who've cried with slight dis- dis- dismissal, feeling that I was um, stronger than, than them or more courageous than them because I didn't cry. Mm-hmm. And, of course, my not crying meant all I did was I bottled it up and all the tears, the tears were pouring down my heart internally but mm-hmm. not externally. So I think the mother wound for me looked like not crying. Yeah. And when I was 55-ish and I started working with this healer and this coach, the, the healer, I went to her because I always had trouble with money. Okay, maybe money then is also my mother wound because I wasn't good enough. I always used to attract to myself positions and salaries and even when I worked as a consultant, I was often I would often find out when I'd be working for a while as a consultant that I was getting less than the other consultants. And I think it was because I was putting out a message saying, Well, I'm not good enough, don't bother to pay me. Yeah. And so I didn't attract money. I had huge problems with money. So I went to this energy healer to be healed with my money story. And she was a kinesiologist, and she put her fingers on my wrist. She did She did this. She used to touch you like this. Mm-hmm. And I was lying on her therapy couch, and she put her fingers on my wrist, and she said, okay, so who abandoned you? And I was flummoxed. To say I was speechless is an understatement. I worked with her. Uh, on on what turned out to be my mother wound, you know, it was the money. But when we were healing the money, we were healing the mother wound because at the root of everything, Nikki, is our self-esteem, mm-hmm. our self-love, our self-cherishing, our ability to forgive ourselves, our ability to love ourselves. And I hadn't, I hadn't been able to do that. And so she started healing that. And as she healed those aspects of me, my world started to change and my outcomes became different. So I started to be able to attract money. I found that my self-esteem, I was in a much, I just became happier. I became, you know, I always used to be the girl whose cup was half empty and I'm ashamed to tell you that because I was so blessed. But when I verbalized about myself and looking back now, I recognize this. The things I used to say and the way I used to talk about myself and the way I used to talk about my world was often very negative. Mm. And now I'm astonished, actually, at what I achieved, even being so negative. I'm astonished that I managed to get it. You know, you wonder how you managed to carry on living when you're so negative. That all changed, and I became a much more positive person. And I feel like when they're negatively putting that energy outward, then you're putting that negative energy towards yourself twice as much as is what I've usually noticed. I agree with that. I think that we, we are so unappreciative of ourselves and of our gifts and, and, and of, you know, even of the blessings that I had, I, I just didn't recognize them. Mm-hmm. For example, I could never accept a compliment. Someone would say, Oh, you look so pretty today. or I love your pretty dress. And I'd say, Oh, um, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. I did. Yeah. yeah. I, could, I couldn't accept any kind of uh, salutation of admiration, if you like. And that reflected in myself. When I started working with this coach and mentor and, and the healer, I started learning to catch, switch, and ditch. So catch negative self-talk, um, reframe it, and 
and let the original thought go. And I didn't do that. I just just swarm in these thoughts of how stupid I was or how ugly I was or how fat I was or how um, just unlovable I was, how unworthy I was. I used to say these things to myself all the time and not recognize that I was saying them. That's so sad that we can do that to ourselves, that we can beat ourselves up. I absolutely was my own worst enemy without any doubt at all. I've self-sabotaged, you know, my whole life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of people talk about that um, shame and guilt that you express too, where they feel like their situation as an adoptee is a better situation. They they logically know that they're in a better um, household, a better situation, you know, everything for the better, but yet there's this um, anxiety and shame and guilt about not being grateful or appreciative. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's a common theme as well. Okay. Yes, I, I adored my, my mom and dad, my adoptive mom and dad. I really, really loved them. We, we had for the most part, we had a very good relationship. When I was in my teenage years, I became a horrible person. I acted out, you know, because of my low self-esteem. I chose to hang out with other kids who had low self-esteem. So, of course, we were all doing drugs. We were all doing alcohol. We were behaving inappropriately. And my parents discovered, and I was I was humiliated. I was horrified, you know. I was just horrified at what I'd done and, and how I'd hurt them because I loved them so much. And there was that guilt. I was never able to say to them, why did you adopt me? Why couldn't you have children? I was never able to say to them, why did she give me up? Did you know her? I was never able to ask them any questions. And even though I knew I was adopted, and I think my mum, I just think, I just I just know I was adopted. And um, when I got to about 59, I was working with my spiritual mentor, and she said, Jen, you have to find out who your biological family are. And I said, you know, what for? Who cares? <laughs> and, uh, and, and it took a long time for that to sink in, to land. And I, because of the guilt, you know, because I'm so disloyal to mom and dad to go and look for my biological mother, why would I do that? Mm -hmm. Mom and dad loved me. They would be so hurt. Yeah. For me to look, you know, and um, it was hard. Did and they? Did. Yeah, yeah. Did they like not make it okay for you to ask those questions, or did you just have that inner feeling? Um, I'm just wondering if they ever put anything out there that it wasn't welcomed for you to ask. I don't think they did put anything out that it was unwelcome for me. They were always tremendously supportive and loved me unconditionally. I think that it was my own perception that if it betrayal, it was betrayal, yeah. betray mum and dad by doing this and feel enormously guilty that I wanted to know and terribly ashamed and, and hoping that they would never know that I wanted to know. Deep secret, keep it to myself. Don't tell anyone because it's so unworthy and, and they gave you so much. How could you possibly betray them by asking them these questions? Yeah. So I think it came from me. I don't think it came from them. 
And do you think things would have been different if you would have had the ability to ask them questions and have them answer? Or do you think you would have felt the same way? I think I would have felt better. I think um, I would have. it would have made it easier for me. I don't know if it's hard for me to tell because, of course, I didn't walk down that path. But mm-hmm. I don't. I think mum, my mum might have said, I'll help you look. If yeah. I think she might have said that. Um, but I never did ask. And yes, I do think it would have been better. But the ultimate message, I think, comes from your biological mother. Now, mine was dead by the time I found my siblings, mm-hmm. who were amazing, who uh, were just wonderful. I was so grateful to them because they, mm-hmm. when the, the facilitator who was facilitating my looking and doing the communication between me and them found them and she asked if I, we could meet and it was horrible. It's just awful. I thought, suppose they reject me. Suppose they don't want to meet me. Suppose mm. they say no. It'll just be another rejection. It was a huge thing for me when she said, do you want me to reach out and ask them? I really hesitated. I really yeah. had to think about, do I want this to happen? Because suppose they say no, mm. but they didn't say no. But I think the only person who really could have answered and who could have spoken to my heart, if you like, was my mother. I don't think anyone else can speak. What would you imagine that she would say? Well, I like to imagine that she would have, um, she would, and she would have empathized, and she would have told me she loved me, but she couldn't keep me. That's what I hope she would have said. But, you know, the funny thing is, Nikki, that after I met my siblings, and they were amazing, wonderful people, they were so gentle with me, um, I realized that it didn't really matter. You know, the, my mum and dad, Monica and Brian, were the ones that I really loved mm-hmm. and that there was nothing to touch them because they had loved me so completely and so unconditionally and they had just given me everything you know they'd given me all the material things I had but they'd also given me a solid foundation a good education they gave me a strong family background and and I realized that for me because of that I don't know if there would have been a connection with my mother I honestly don't yeah yeah but just to know that that you were loved. And I, and I always think of like adoption is really this act of love. It's pretty selfless. Like it would be much easier for a mom to have an abortion, um, in a lot of ways. And it's such this act of love to actually birth out this child, to realize that you're not suitable and that they can have something better without you must be incredibly painful for the birth mothers to, come to that acknowledgement and understanding. And I know like when we, when we did the adoption, I remember, I remember this so vividly. We, they had to wheelchair me out, which was bizarre, but you know, cause I wasn't the patient and they had to wheelchair me out of the hospital. And I had our newborn baby Jack in my arms and I had been holding it together for so long. And I remember the elevator door shut and I'm not a crier. I'm definitely not a public crier. The elevator door shut I think it was um, me and the person who was pushing the wheelchair and then the elevator was full of people and I just burst out crying and everyone's looking at me and I just, 
felt this pain from this birth mother, like, oh my God, like I'm feeling all of her pain that she just did this sacrifice for Mm -hmm. us and um, all of everything that I've been holding in, but all of her pain and everything just ripped me apart um, in that moment. It was a moment of gratitude, but it was also like, wow, just the intensity of like taking her child and walking away from her. Um, and I always think of like, what an incredible gift that she gave our son, knowing that he could have done better. She was too young and, and, and she loved him and, and that he could have a a better life. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think, uh, it is a huge gift. And I suppose that's also the irony that it should be so conflictual for the adoptee you know that Mm -hmm. that was with my head I understand this completely and yeah you know if I had been um that person in that position I probably would have done exactly the same I'm sure I would have done the same yeah so you know the gift of of the birth I mean she gave me life and she gave me an incredible childhood I mean by giving me away she gave me such magic I had mm-hmm. such an amazing, amazing childhood. I had such an amazing upbringing. I had such wonderful parents. And I think that that, that was a huge gift from her. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to understand that. It took me a long time to get to a place of forgiveness for her and of empathizing with her, you know, because yeah. I suppose all of my formative years had been built on I'm not good enough, I wasn't good enough for her, and she threw me away. Um, that's literally the message I had. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of, when I got to my early 20s, I started realizing actually, you know, this must have been really hard for her. But, but until then, I couldn't see it from her point of view because I was still thinking like a child. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like an abandoned baby. Yeah. And I couldn't get past that. And as you can see, you know, there's still work that I'm doing on this. I'm still recovering from this. I'm still working through this. Mm-hmm. I'm still letting it go. You know, I'm only in the last 10 years I've acknowledged this. 10 years ago. I, I mean, I think that's this. the thing is that there's this feeling, this emotion, this like um, inner child stuff, this really mm. intense heaviness that maybe doesn't have words, that that, that doesn't even need words. And, and so like everything that you can say in your head that's, logic logically Mm. that you could talk to yourself like none of that matters because at the end of the day there's this feeling this emotion this hole this wound um and it's almost like you can't touch that wound until you let go of all the the logical and rational stuff because it doesn't matter and your wound can't hear it and so it's like once you throw all that away and then you honor it and you feel it and you, you know, dive into it, then I feel like that opening starts to happen. Mm-hmm. It's kind of when we cut off all the logical parts. <laughs> yes, 100%. So all of the work that I've done on this has been subconscious work. Um, mm-hmm. It's all been a, a huge amounts of EFT tapping, which is very, very powerful because it works, it accesses, it speaks to the limbic brain, and the limbic brain are where our amygdala is stored and where we have our fight, flight, and freeze response. 
And when I work on tapping, I calm that. I calm that brain down. I calm down the the, the, the fear and the, you know, there's a lot of fear. There's a, with, the, with adoptees, there's a lot of fear of abandonment and fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I'm working on that. And as you say, it's pre-verbal. Well, it is pre-verbal. Mm-hmm. It's not about word of um, talk therapy. It's 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 accessing directly the limbic brain. And also then the other work I do is energy healing, which also acts on, you know, limiting mm-hmm. belief systems and all the beliefs that I've built up over the years. You know, so what, what I believe is there's the head heart. And what that says is the head cannot speak to the heart and the heart cannot speak to the head until the heart is acknowledged. So yeah. you can't problem solve with brain stuff saying, oh, well, you know, she was pregnant and she was 18 and, oh, you know, she couldn't cope and she had no one to turn to. The heart can't hear that. Yeah. The heart hears, oh, she left me, she left me, she left me. I wasn't good enough for her. And until the brain is able to acknowledge that this is how the heart is feeling and to say it's okay to feel that way, you know, because there's a lot of shame about feeling this way, mm-hmm. a huge amount of shame about feeling this, you know, when being given this life of fortune and this life of amazement and all the amazing things and to, to have that 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 pain is is shameful you know to i should have got over that i should have grown through that i should have grown up you know mm-hmm. so it's it's all the it's all the heart brain stuff and it's the inner child as well it's the inner child that is still living there inside who says she left me yeah it's not rational yeah and that inner child stuff is so powerful i mean acknowledging acknowledging this I think so many times we walk around in our heads and we try to avoid any feeling or any pain and I think that healing never happens until we go into that space and it can be scary and daunting and um, uncomfortable and a lot of people aren't willing to walk into that discomfort towards healing because it you know things might get a little bit uglier before they get better and I think there's a lot of avoidance um, to feel discomfort hundred percent. It takes a lot 100%. of bravery. It does. Let me yeah. ask you in regards to everything I just said. Um, and I had another guest that talked about EFT tapping, um, with eating disorders. And so am I correct in understanding that say when you're talking about it, um, it can bring up all of these intense emotions. So forget about the head. Now we're getting into the heart and you're talking about it and you're getting into these intense emotions. And then does the tapping just kind of like regulate and calm your nervous system so that you can move through things a little bit more with ease? Yes, it does. And and what I believe about EFT tapping is that it, it works on acupressure points. And acupressure points are like acupuncture. They run along our meridians. They are what acupuncturists work in. Mm-hmm. And meridians are like the veins in our body that carry energy or chi or life force. Mm-hmm. And when we tap on the meridians, we tap on unblocking the meridians so that the energy in the meridians can flow freely. And when that happens, you start moving the stuck energy, the energy of oh, I'm not good enough, the energy of she didn't want me, the energy of whatever it is that you're working on. And as you start releasing that very often, for me, I've sat and I've howled, I've sobbed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. After my entire life of saying I'm so proud of not being a crier, I've <laughs> now in the last ten years cried more than I ever mm-hmm. ever cried in my life as I have released this stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. My grandmother, um, her stepmother told her crying is weak and she never cried a day in her life. And I remember when my grandfather died, she was saying, I want to cry so badly. And she couldn't. And um, just repressing all of that stuff for so long must be so intense mm-hmm. and scary. When you finally like open the gate a little bit, that must have been kind of terrifying. Yes. Funny what you say about she said it's weak. I also thought it was weak. I thought mm-hmm. it was an indication of character weakness or personality weakness or something weak, weak. So I didn't cry. And I think when I started crying, the relief was so huge. You know, the, mm-hmm. the relief and the release was enormous. Yeah. And, and to just be able to sit and sob was wonderful because I think that you almost you, you cry it out when you, when you cry. You know, it's your body's way of, of letting something go because when we cry, we're acknowledging the pain. But when we don't cry, we're pushing the pain away and saying the pain isn't here. And I think, I believe completely that it's by acknowledging our emotions and feeling our emotions and feeling our pain and our discomfort that we are able to process them. We're able to let them go. That's truly my belief. Yeah. It's interesting. My story that I tell my little boy, and I had talked to you a little bit about this before, um, my story has always been to him that Bethany was the vehicle to bring him to me, that he was 100% meant to come to me to be in my life, that we were meant to be together. I I literally feel like he's my soulmate um, and that she was the avenue to bring him to me. It was always meant to be that way. I literally feel with every ounce of my being that he was meant to come to me. And so there's like that whole spiritual element in there. And I'm kind of wondering how the, when you started sorting this out for yourself spiritually, did things come up for you? Did, Did things shift in that way for you? Do you ever feel like, this was the plan for you or that this healing needed to be done or there was some karma in it or what do you think about all that? I completely, there's a couple of things there. I completely believe I was meant to be with Monica and Brian who were my mom and dad. I believe that they contracted to have me. I believe that somehow along the line, someone contracted my birth mother contracted to have me so that she could give me to Brian and Monica. Whether there was a direct transition, I mean, I know they went, I think they went through an adoption agency, but whether there was any meeting of of the three of them, I don't know. But yes, I believe completely that I'm Brian and Monica's child. I'm their sole child. I don't look anything like them, but I am their child. Um, In terms of the spiritual journey, what, what happened for me when I was working with this kinesiologist was she said to me what she saw, and this might be, you know, the wild reaches of imagination, take it as you wish. What she saw was me working in an orphanage as a nun in a previous life and looking after adopted kids. And my karmic journey this lifetime was to be the adopted kid and to see it from a different perspective. So, and I believe completely that my journey has been to heal this mother wound. I believe that my journey on earth, one of the purposes, one of my karmic lessons was that I was adopted and that I needed to let this go. I needed to forgive her. I needed to forgive myself. And I need to accept that that's how it is, completely with my soul, with no hesitation or holding back or or, or reservations. So 
uh, yes, I think it is a karmic journey. That might be too woo. It might be too like out there. I don't know. You know, if you don't want to talk about karma, but so from a religious point of view, from the church's point of view, right. you could say, oh, she was adopted, so she could learn forgiveness. And I think that's why I was adopted. Yeah. Did you realize that when you were younger or in your fifties? <laughs> no. no, no, no. Yeah, I've only realized that. Um, you know, I, when I started working with this spiritual coach, she had me get four candles and light four candles in my house and say, this one is mum, this one is dad, this one is mum, this one is dad, and to welcome all four of them into my home, into my space, into my environment. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, was the beginning of the journey of forgiveness and acceptance that was hard for me to do to have my biological mother in the same room, if you like, as my, yeah. my you know, uh, likewise father. And that was the start for me of my forgiveness journey. And it took me a long time, Nikki. Trust me, it took me a long time. Years of anger, years of rejection, years of hatred. It took me a yeah. long, long time to work through that. And yeah. I believe that that was what I needed to do. And, of course, Uh, It makes me understand so much more. My empathy has become so much deeper. My understanding of human pain, of the human condition, has grown and expanded because of my own journey. Yeah. (laughs) What, um, What are some things that would make it easier for the child to manage or to open up these conversations? Or, like, what are the things that would have made a big difference for you or you think could make a difference for others? I think um, one of the things that would have made it easier for me would would have been if my adopted mum and dad had initiated conversations about this. I think that perhaps before puberty, but I think puberty is a time of enormous upheaval. And I know for me, my my teenage years were years where I was very conflicted about everything. And, I would say try and open the conversation and and tell the story, even if the child doesn't look to be listening, you know, just tell the story of the adoption and how much you love them and how much you wanted them. And, and you know, you've got two mummies. Most other kids have only got one. This yeah. is really a, a huge blessing. And then I think also something that happened to me when my mum died a friend, a very good family friend, picked me up from the airport and took me home to my dad for the funeral. And she she told me in the car the story about how Monica had introduced me. And I, I didn't know that story until then. And I wish she had told me how she introduced me to all her friends. I think you need to share with your child as much as you can yeah. because when you're dead it's too late they can't ask you questions and your child might never look for their mother they might decide that they just don't they're just too much in denial they might decide there's too much anger there and they might never get to a place where they want to look and where they can move into that space but I think that you need to I think any adopted parent should be sharing with the child as much as they can of the child's story and make it completely open and transparent and just, you know, 
as you said, the, the feeling that this child was meant to be for you, this is your child, your child will know this, Nikki. Trust me. Yeah. I think unless you're in an abusive family as an adopted child, if you're in an abusive family where people where you're not loved yeah. and where you are violated and abused, then I think you will yearn for your your real mother because you'll build a story about your real mother who your yeah. real mother would love you and your real mother would accept you and you know so that I think is a different situation if you're a caring adopted parent then open as many avenues as you can and and you know say things like if you if you want to meet with your mum we can arrange it we can you know if if it's just just always have that offer there you know, keep on saying it every birthday or something. Oh, you're 13. Gee, your mum might really like to see you. I bet she'd be so proud of you. Let's contact your mum. Do you want to see your mum? I think yeah. that's what, what I would do if I was in that position. And knowing what I know, I would, mm. um, yeah, that's what I would do. But I do have a friend that hired a private investigator to find her birth mom, and she found her birth mom, um, and that was hard for her. Her birth mom had um, – what had a really religious background and kind of secretly um, had her and, and placed her for adoption and then had a new family and yeah. no, nobody knew, nobody mm. knew. She didn't tell anybody in her family. She had a whole new family. She never told anybody. Mm. Um, and so in some ways that's almost like another rejection. So just assuming that the birth mom's going to embrace these adoptees too is is not an assumption that can take place i mean in this case my friend was like oh dodged a bullet that would have not been a good family for me and she had a really beautiful loving family um but it was same thing she was in her really late 40s and hired a private investigator and started to want to make contact and incidentally she's made contact with some of the extended family members as you had and not wanting to keep in contact with her mom um, but it must be so cool to realize like that you have siblings and, um, and my little boy's only nine and he's got a biological sibling and we will tell him at some point, but I also think, oh, that's going to open up all kinds of things where the birth mom kept this one child, but didn't keep me and what mm -hmm. that's going to bring up for him. Um, or also seeing that, that we have a much more privileged life than his sibling. Um, and my little boy is so empathetic. And so I also, I am going to bring that up when he starts asking more questions. He's, he's in the stage of not asking a lot of questions and we do offer mm -hmm. information. Um, but I do have a lot of fear around that as a mom, like what's, what's that going to bring up for him and knowing I need to do it and it's the right thing to do. And I will do it for sure. Um, but then, you know, as a mom, it's going to pain me to, to have him feeling that pain. If it, and, and I guess here I am assuming what it will be like for him. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to tell, isn't it? I think it is, it is hard when you, were given away and the other one was kept. I think that must be very hard. In terms of the secrecy, now you see, I don't know your friend. You said she was in her 40s, so I'm now in my 60s. And my mother didn't tell anyone that she had me. So when I met my siblings, it was a huge shock to them, huge and almost shock because they didn't know anything about me. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe my mother wouldn't have wanted to see me. Maybe she would have just wanted to push it away. It's very hard to tell. I think each is individual. Each is, is, is a different story. Yeah. And the story of keeping one and giving one away is a very hard, hard thing to to rationalize, you know, and it is just logic. It, it is it, right. the reason that she did it was a logical reason. She couldn't look after the child. She needed to let the child go. And until your boy is able to deal with that logic, I suppose it'll be hard to understand. Yeah, these are the things as like an adoptive mom trying to navigate like what's always in his best interest. And I, and I think like finding out in his 40s that he has a sibling is not OK. He needs to find out, oh. you know, in his, you know, early teen years. Um, mm-hmm. So that will come out. But I think, you know, it's another it's another thing that he's going to need to wrap his head around. Devastating. I personally think that the earlier you tell your children about their birth families, the better for them because I think that they it's going to be hard it doesn't matter when you tell them it doesn't matter if you tell them they're 15 when they're 18 when they're 25 in fact it's going to get harder the older they get right because I think we'll we'll find more and more reasons not to tell them you know we Mm -hmm. just justify it you know yeah Mm. so I I worked as a, a senior program director at an adoption agency. So I got like another perspective. And one of the things that we always learned, like learned in those parenting classes is tell those kids when they're young. Um, another reason behind that is that then there's no shame around it. Um, yes. cause a lot of times like somebody will say something and then the adoptive family gets all tense. And I, my girlfriend that was adopted felt that every time somebody would ask something, her mom and dad would get uncomfortable and then she would pick up on that. And then that was sending like another message. And one of the best things that I ever learned was that when we share that we're, we share always that we're an adoptive family, not that he's adopted, but that we're an adoptive family, because that's very inclusive. We're all together and we're an adoptive family versus you're adopted. And so we're really Mm -hmm. careful with our words that we choose. Like he was placed, that he wasn't given away, that he was placed with us. Um, and so just really being careful about our language because yeah. kids pick up on that language and they pick up off if we're uncomfortable and they pick up, um, you know, somebody asked us something and we're squirming and our and we're feeling some guilt, the kids pick up on that. And so I think that's another reason to start using that language really early on so that we as parents get comfortable with it. So mm-hmm. by the time they're aware, you know, that, that it's just like another, it's another word. There's not any, yes. any shame around that. Um, so we do bring that up a lot actually with our little boy. I, I have this thing with him where I say that he was born in my heart. So I'll yes. say, where were you born? And he'll, he'll say, I was born in your heart. And it's like, where, where are you? And he's like, I'm in your heart. Um, and we have a book about how we're, you know, he's born from my heart. And so, um, it doesn't have to necessarily be a discussion with our kids that is negative or that has like uncomfortable feelings. I think as adoptive parents, we have to get over that and do our work around that as well so mm-hmm. that we're clear when we're sharing with our kids and that those, so that we do leave that door open and that the conversations are comfortable. Um, and then, and then I think after I talked to you last time, I even said to my little boy, you know, you can tell me anything, like, even if you think it's going to upset me or, or make me um, sad or angry, like, you can talk to me about anything. I mean, hearing that might not open that door for him, but if I say it often enough, 
you know, hopefully he'll believe it, that he can yes. share things that might not make me happy. Mm, I think that's lovely. I think what you say about being born from your heart is lovely. I think it's a wonderful message. I think it's such a special message. And I also think I like what you say about being placed. Um, well, I believe that my parents chose me. I believe that yeah. Monica and Brian chose me. They wanted yeah. me. They they chose to have me. You know, they had the option of not having me. They they had a space in their heart and in their lives, and they wanted me. Mm-hmm. And and it made me feel so loved and so included and so part of the family. And mm-hmm. and I think that, as you say, that kind of inclusive language is so important, especially when they're little, because they do pick up on the on the nonverbals. Yeah, and and the body language and the tone of voice. So yeah, I think that's really critical. To, to just express that love and, and how you wanted that child. And you, you waited for that child. My mom waited for me. Mm-hmm, you know, sure she, knew, <laughs> she knew I was coming. Whereas my my adopted, my, my biological mom didn't want me. That's yeah. the difference. She didn't want me. I was an inconvenience. And, but my mom did. My mom did yeah. want me. She wanted yeah. me desperately. She wanted to fill her heart and her arms with me. And, and yeah. I... I know that. I know that I was loved. I was so loved. And I know that. And and that just is, I think it's formed who I am. It's made, you know, on the one side, there was the side of being not enough. And on the other side, it was completely enough. I just needed to be in a space where I could bring those two together. And and I think, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I've succeeded in doing it just yet. I think I might work on this some more. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've moved a long way. I've moved an enormous amount. I've moved. I've moved leagues. I've moved oceans to get that closer. And I'm yeah. so glad I have, because uh, I'm so much happier. I'm so much more fulfilled. And I found my purpose in life as well. That was a side benefit of me working to heal myself. Is that I found my purpose in life is to actually to heal others. What can we mm. do to? Um, what can we do to begin to heal this wound for ourselves? And I know talk isn't yeah. necessarily the answer. Mm. I think until you are able to acknowledge I have this problem or I have this issue or I have this wound, you won't deal with it because you will be in denial. I wouldn't have had this conversation with you 20, 20 years ago. I would not have said I would not have said I have a problem. I, I do not have a problem being adopted. I had a perfectly happy life and everything's hunky-dory. I would never have this conversation with you because I didn't believe there was anything that needed addressing. So until you understand that something needs addressing, I don't think you can do anything about it. So the way I started was I started with an energy healer. I started with a spiritual coach. Now, I suppose you could, if you, have, if you were um, part of a religious establishment, you could probably speak to the the minister or the pastor or someone and maybe get some counseling. I think that it's not verbal, but if you don't share my opinion, you might find that counseling is helpful for you. You might find things like journaling. I find journaling enormously, enormously beneficial. So what you do when you journal is you you vomit on the page. Excuse my language. Yeah. <laughs> you, vom- you vomit on the page. So you just pour out all the bitterness and the anger, the frustration, the not enoughness, and you just write and you dump, you do a brain dump. 
mm-hmm. where there's no structure or grammar or you no know, one else is going to read it. You're not going to read it. You're just putting it out there, just yeah. processing it. It's a way of processing. It's called processing. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it allows our brain to make sense of what's happened. It also allows us to see like our internal dialogue. Yes, it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then the other thing I would do uh, if I were believing that it would be helpful, I do believe it is helpful. There's a lot of research being done on on EFT tapping. Mm-hmm. There's wonderful tapping sites on the internet that you can very freely access with all sorts of free uh, demonstrations and explanations of how it works. So, yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit about the work that you do and how people can contact you and find you and, and uh, connect with you? Okay, thank you. Um, well, I'm an energy healer. I'm a psychic intuitive energy healer, and I work with people all around the world to work with their physical, emotional, and and um, mental pain and illness. So what I do is I connect with the subconscious mind. I work with the subconscious mind. Basically, I'm a subconscious practitioner, if you like, and I am able to communicate with the subconscious mind and ask the subconscious mind questions. And the questions I would ask would typically be things like, what can I do to help you with your adoption? What do you want to let go that we can let go of now that will help you with your adoption? What might come up might be a despair anchor saying, I wish I was dead. What might come up would be a limiting belief saying, I'm not good enough. And then we work on clearing and releasing that energetically in order to bring you closer to a space of self-love and self-acceptance and self-forgiveness. And that's essentially, that's my work. Uh, that's all I do. Um, how I'll put the links in the show notes, but what's the best way for people to connect with you? So I have a website, which is www.jenedwards.com. And that's Jen with a G because my name is Genevieve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Is, was there anything that I didn't ask you that you think would be important to cover? No, I don't think so. I think you're very empathetic and lovely to speak to because i for a long time, I struggled with the fact that I'm still emotional about this. And I felt that I was a big girl and I was all grown up and I should have got over this. I felt I really believed that for the, for the longest time. Mm. And now I've come into a place of self-love and self-acceptance and said, you know what, it's hard is. It's hard is. And I'm doing the best I can. But you're lovely because you are coming from a place of having a son yourself mm. and having many people that you've spoken to. So I feel that you're a very non-judgmental, very safe space to speak oh, thank to. You. And and that's lovely. And that's how I appreciate all the questions you've asked, which have been relevant and, oh, and informed. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time and your insight and sharing your story and, and being here with me today. I really appreciate everything. Thank you, Nikki. I appreciate you too. Thank you for listening to the Connected Community Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe. I can be found at www.nikkiyyoga.com, N-I-C-K-Y-Y-Y-O-G-A.com. Until I see you again next week, I hope you have a beautiful day.